finger on the pulse of what is going on out there. Of course, you know, we always try to have our finger on the pulse, but tonight is no exception to that. Of course, if uh, you've been paying attention in the past few days or so, you've heard about the cattle mutilations in Texas. And then we started hearing about more cattle mutilations in Texas. And, uh, likely happening in other places as well. This certainly has brought uh, more mainstream coverage to a topic that is often considered too taboo for, you know, serious consideration. It's one of those things that people uh, dismiss. They poo-poo, whatever the case happens to be, but it continues to happen. Cattle gutted with uh without blood and it happens in the most shocking of ways in fact we're going to bring in george henry just a bit early here in this uh first hour to bring us this report uh with the latest uh, not necessarily the greatest of what's going on in texas george Cattle mutilations in Texas have drawn attention from police. Madison County Sheriff's Office says the deaths of six cows is unknown, while another is said to be from pneumonia, although there are still unanswered questions about the finding. Last week, a rancher found one of their cows dead with its tongue removed and cuts around the mouth described as being done with apparent precision. There was no blood at the scene, signs of a struggle or any scavengers, and no tracks were nearby. But that's only the start of this mystery. Five more cattle mutilations in two other counties were reported that were, quote, unnervingly similar and with their organs removed. A seventh case was reported yesterday. The sheriff's office refers to multiple similar incidents across the United States and says they're actively working to find answers. For Paranormal News, I'm George Henry. Jeremy? Yeah, isn't that interesting? The sheriff's office in Madison County uh, making a public statement on their Facebook page about the deaths of these cattle. Uh, the numbers, though, are far greater as far as the number of cattle that have, you know, met this same fate over the years, over the decades. In fact, what struck out to me from that report is that they talk about multiple similar incidents that have been reported across the United States and that they are actively coordinating with other agencies to find answers. Oh boy, Uh, when you talk about (laughs) coordinating with other agencies, that's when my hackles get up uh, because... It just becomes a bureaucratic mess. But no, I know that the sheriff's office 
uh, is absolutely overwhelmed with the situation and they're reaching out to uh, investigators such as Christopher O'Brien, who joins us now. He is author of Stalking the Herd, Unraveling the Cattle Mutilation Mystery. He's investigated hundreds of unexplained events in Colorado and New Mexico in the late 90s and early 2000. His log of UFOs, cattle mutilations, and crypto creatures is one of the largest databases of unusual occurrences in the USA. His book, Stalking the Herd, addresses the perplexing cattle mutilation mystery. He is currently marketing UFO surveillance gear and software monitoring equipment with the UFO Data Acquisition Project that is already up in 43 locations and nine countries. It'll be very interesting to talk with him and uh, actually see over time what that happens to capture. Maybe it will capture uh, one of these cattle mutilations or maybe uh, UFO sightings followed by cattle mutilations or i don't know maybe maybe bigfoot's involved i don't know uh but christopher welcome back to the program i was looking back in our archives and it was june oh. of 2017 that you were here last so uh yeah. it is it is great to have you back uh what do we know about these cases particularly the batch in texas well i can say is they're back uh, when you have uh a number you know of counties in this case three all reporting incidents um almost simultaneously uh with the same apparent uh wounds that were found uh on all the animals um that to me means that um that there's something going on with intelligence something with an agenda and something that's highly skilled and well equipped to pull these types of of uh clandestine operations off uh you know this is um this is classic classic mutilation time and we haven't really had uh that since uh 2019 when we had the the cases that were reported from uh, central or oregon five bulls in one night were five seed bulls i mean we're talking that's quarter of a million dollars maybe uh lost by the rancher uh so these latest cases uh from madison and um bravos and i forget the other county uh are, are a little disturbing because we haven't seen uh texas has not seen mutilations uh for quite some time officially again now i like to preface all this uh information with with what i have always thought was a, a highly underreported mystery. Uh, it, as many as nine out of ten of these cases may go unreported, and if that's the case, then <laughs> we've got a lot of a lot of ranchers and, and farmers uh, getting hit financially, uh, having their um, you know their their peace of mind and their their sense of safety and security is being is being shattered and threatened uh and at some point we're going to have to solve who and what is behind these uh, horrific deaths which now number upwards of ten thousand that we we know of uh have some form of documentation well and perhaps underreported because they may not and by they, I mean that the farmers and the ranchers may not uh, put two and two together, may not realize that uh, 
well, first, they may not know how long the animal's been there, uh, and and they may not, uh, you know, understand fully, uh, and this is, you know, no disrespect to them, what it is that they're dealing with. Uh, Or maybe they feel uh, like they might be ridiculed if they report it, maybe a combination of both. It's a combination of all those things. Um, I think the main thing is that they've already lost their investment. The cow's dead. There's nothing they're going to be able to do about it. Uh, they're not going to be able to bring it back from the dead. Uh, cows don't uh, respond like Lazarus in the cave. And that being the case, they are quite aware that these things have been going on for decades and that uh, nobody's been caught. So it's almost a, a case of, of just drag it off to a bone pile, bury it, take it out to the back 40 or whatever, get rid of it, it's just out of sight, out of mind. Don't stigmatize your family by going to the media or making an official uh, law enforcement report. Um, don't bring undue attention uh, for the wrong reasons to your operation. There's a lot of reasons why uh, a rancher would, would would choose to hide the fact that one of these uh, cattle cases have occurred, or, or even multiple cattle cases have occurred, mutilations on his ranch. I've had I've had ranchers hide them from from their own families. Uh, as not to scare, you know, the wife and 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 scare his kids and and, and his neighbors. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's a, a real rationale uh, for not. Nothing's going to come from going public with it. And nothing good at least. If if you have military helicopters sighted, occasionally those uh, those reports are filed because then the rancher, the farmer thinks he's being victimized by his government, and in some some parts of uh, the country that's not that's not a good thing and um chances are if he's angry enough he'll he'll go to the local paper or he'll go to his um local politicians and or his you know to law enforcement because he knows darn right there you know no no little aliens came down and did that to my my bessie you know we can hell it was our helicopter over my bastard kind of hard not to make the connection has that been the case in some of these where there's been uh, some something overhead? Hundreds, hundreds. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Do we, so do a lot we... of a lot of investigators that uh, you talk to, they they don't like to talk about that. They they like to come up with theories that explains how this is all aliens and how it's all uh, ET and all this. That's a least likely explanation to. Um, you know, try to explain what's going on here. The least likely. Uh, that's the one that I would least suspect as being the answer. And uh, not that I'm anybody to to write the Bible on it, but yeah, I did write the Bible on it. I've spent uh, 25 years, 30 years on this uh, um, in the field, slogging around in the mud, smelling dead cadaverine molecules and uh it not being allowed back in my house when i got home <laughs> uh this is it's a, a a very serious undertaking and i've i've worked with with quite a number of law enforcement with veterinary pathologists with veterinary colleges with, with state crime labs with brand inspectors uh you know the list goes down goes is, is long and um I can tell you uh, from an inform, informed uh, uh, point of view that the majority of these cases are done by two-legged varmints with instrumentation and with skill. 
and with an agenda and, and a lot of talent. Uh, there's no, no two ways of getting around that. Yeah, you have a to have a skill in order. Misidentified, to be honest. Hmm? What What is misidentified? Uh, when the media gets involved, like right now, and then all of a sudden cases start popping up all over. These are the cases that are generally uh, misidentified scavenger action, which, again, other other investigators don't like to, to talk about. But um, out of the 200 cases I went out on, 40 without question, just without any shadow of a doubt in, in my mind and in the mind of the investigators that I was working with, 40 of those were definitely high strange and done with intelligence, with skill. And out of those, there was somewhere south of 10 were... Uh, were high strange and could could not be explained with normal uh, forensic science uh, or investigative techniques. That's out of 200 cases now. Mm-hmm. So once the media gets involved, every dead cow in a pasture to somebody who doesn't know what they're looking at is a potential mutilation. <laughs> I hate to tell you. <laughs> I mean, I've even been fooled. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, pretty knowledgeable about this subject, unfortunately. Uh, well, let's the, get into that. that. The ancient mariner had a, a dead albatross around his neck. I've got a dead cow around mine. It's heavy, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. Uh, we'll be back with Christopher O'Brien talking about these cattle mutilations and perhaps how one can be fooled in in what it is that they're looking at. We'll also talk about uh, you know the precision and what uh, type of instrumentation and skill that it would actually take in order to do something like this. More on our program coming up right after this. Stick with us. Into the When there's uh, one and then there's another, it's kind of hard to uh, keep up. Are they all legitimate or high strangeness cattle mutilations or are they just misidentified? My guest is Christopher O'Brien. So uh, talk about some of the common ways that people misidentify, uh, you know, these things. Well, a real mutilation is, is being done with a sharp implement. Everybody says these are done with lasers. They're not done with lasers. I've only had two out of 200 cases that had indication of high heat being a, being the cutting agent. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, the highest percentage number of cases are done with sharp implements. Sharp implements cut hair. Nothing in nature can cut hair in a straight line. So the first thing I do when I go out is I look for cut hair follicles. That is your giveaway. That is your litmus test. If you can find cut hair follicles, you have a real mutilation. When a coyote or a pack of uh, wild dogs or a mountain lion or a fox, when they attack uh, an animal, they're tearing the flesh between the hair. The hair is not being, maybe right where the tooth is, is clamped out. Excuse me to the neck you're going to have some damage to the hair but you're not going to have a line a straight line of cut hair follicles so that's 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 the my my main litmus test excuse me 
Gotcha. As far as uh, whether these uh, recent cases are noteworthy and, and potentially eye strange, because they happen simultaneously, because they had virtually the same exact uh, operations uh, you know, done on them, and because they all occurred in an area that has not had any mutilations for quite some time, to my knowledge, then... I think it's pretty pretty likely that this first batch of cases is real. It's the cases that occur now that are uh, really that need to be inspected very carefully before pronouncements are made of of something uh, you know nefarious going on with that particular animal. Um, this is right at the time now where everybody's a little spooked and and nervous and. I've fallen prey to it myself early on when I was first getting involved in, in doing, you know, actual field investigations. I, I didn't have the, the knowledge base and the experience that I have now to be able to put together uh, rules of thumb and, uh, you know, standard operating procedure when I go to a crime site. Uh, and so I've, I've been fooled. Uh, I'll be the first to admit it. However, I made sure I got myself up to speed real fast when these cases continued to happen, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month. Uh, it, it didn't look like it was going to stop anytime soon. Nobody was bothering to go around and, and uh, you know, with due diligence, try to figure out what was going on or at least ascertain the extent of, of what we were dealing with. So, you know, anybody there in the Houston area, if you... Uh, you'd like to contact me um it would be great to dovetail my uh, my knowledge and efforts with anyone on the ground there um i have talked with uh one of the investigators from madison county who um carly foster who's uh, been assigned i think uh, at least the cases in her county and i know uh, she's going to be working with the other counties uh, close as well. Yeah. We'll continue with Christopher O'Brien. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll have more of our conversation on Into the Paranormal right after this. Don't go anywhere. I'm Jeremy Scott. deaths are a real mystery. Thousands of cows mutilated in New Mexico and other states. Strangely, farmers all over the world are reporting mutilations. The offenders barely took any meat. I don't understand why you do that much work for that little bit of meat. I looked at first to see her tongue was gone, then immediately noticed the udder had completely been removed. First, I, I thought it just died naturally, and then I got closer to it, and I could see it wasn't natural. 
14,000 cattle mutilations that happened. Particularly prevalent around Colorado, New Mexico, uh, Arizona, and uh, Utah. Federal agents got involved in the case at the urging of a U.S. senator from New Mexico more than 30 years ago. Into the Paranormal with Jeremy Scott. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. I mean, I get it. It's not uh, within one's purview. Certainly dealing with cattle mutilations unless you choose to specialize in it, which is something that Christopher O'Brien, author of Stalking the Herd, has dedicated his life to in trying to get to the bottom of this mystery. And so uh, tell us, please, about working with the investigators and what it's been like uh, educating them on this process. Well, they're very open. Uh, they're open for any help they can get. And they um, they do have a um, a degree of respect for the amount of work that I've done and, and for the uh, number of agencies that I've worked with. I've actually consulted for sheriff's departments, Georgia, Florida, New Mexico, um, part, all, all over southern Colorado, northern New Mexico. Um, and um, uh, the list goes on and on, uh, Kansas, <clears throat> excuse me, Nebraska. But one thing that um, I did notice in one of in the run up here, I, I heard somebody say that lots of uh, mutilations happen in Arizona. Now, <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I moved there and lived there for 14 years, because they've only had 12 cases. And uh, coincidentally, they were right before the Travis Walton event occurred. Right in the same area too, I might add. Uh, which uh, hmm. <laughs> go figure. Um, but yeah, I think I do get uh, I do get calls from from law enforcement simply because they um, they just do a Google search and my name kind of dominates uh, that particular search term for for ill or for for nil. I you know I. I pretty much consider myself retired from field investigating. It would take me take me a lot to it, it would take a lot to get me back out into the field. I'll help sitting at my desk as much as as you know people need help, but um, I, I'm just not you know my days of dead dead cows. Uh, Once you've field, seen uh, one or over. ten or a hundred, you you've seen it all, I guess. Well, it's just not something that that um, it's my my the most distasteful thing that I've ever done in my life is investigate a, a dead rotting cow. There's nothing worse. <laughs> yeah. Now, if I was a homicide detective of some big city homicide department, I wouldn't be saying that, but I'm not. I try to stay away from things that are dead, and uh, I have not chosen this as some sort of lifelong job or. I'm not a crusader. Um, I, I'm, I'm just out attempting to help, you know, really worried ranchers and their families and help the local officials that um, are trying to help the families um, and help them as well. I don't work for the government. I've never worked for the government. Um, they wouldn't even have me even if I wanted to. So <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and I am completely independent. Um, I do. Over the years, we've been losing uh, all our investigators are are uh, going by the wayside. There's a real um, high mortality rate in 
mutology, if you were, uh, a lot of people end up with strange ends to their lives, <laughs> unfortunately. And uh, a number of them have been good friends. So it's, you know, it's really important to keep your perspective. This is a very difficult uh, subject. One of the reasons why it doesn't get the attention, it doesn't get the notoriety, it doesn't get the cachet that uh, ghosts and UFOs and Bigfoot and these other things do is because it's horrific. People don't want to think about, you know, a thousand pounds of dead rotting flesh. It's just not sexy. It's not fun. It's not, uh, it's not uh, titillating. If anything, it's, it's just downright scary. <laughs> so um, I do have a, a, a bit of a steely uh, constitution, I guess, would be the word. I, I don't know. I, it, it, it doesn't bother me anymore. And as a result of, uh, well, my first case was in 92, so do the math. <laughs> it's been 30 years. Um, as a result of all these uh, cases, I've become more circumspect, a lot more skeptical. And um, I've had to keep my mouth closed uh, about uninformed people getting involved and making all these uh, wild claims and coming up with theories and pronouncements. And uh, they don't really know what they're talking about as far as I, I'm concerned. Uh, I think it's important to let forensic science tell us what's going on and um, to have a real good, solid research library. And I'm the only one, along with David Perkins, that can say that unfortunately so yeah, as far as these, uh, we're gatekeepers these strange ends do you think that that might be a result of getting a little bit too close to the truth no 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 it's, it's just uh, not being able to handle the psychic strain and the um the damage that being around people that are absolutely just shattered and being around animals that died a horrific death. I, I don't know how coroners and vets and veterinary pathologists do it. I really don't. There's a certain armor that you have to have that's not visible <laughs> to protect yourself from uh, yeah. you know, just dozens and dozens and dozens of cases. It really wears on you after a while. And if you've been doing it for 20 years, it can, uh, it can, it can bite you. It can sneak up and bite you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the characteristics of a typical cattle mutilation? Uh, we've been hearing a lot about the tongue of late, but I know rectal cavities. Uh, in in many of these cases, though, it doesn't appear like they're they're after the meat and and that there is no, no blood. That's not always true, but yeah, uh, basically, it's the fastest fastest regrowing tissues in the body, the youngest tissues in the body, which are the soft tissue areas, the genitalia. The reproductive tract, the tongue, an eye, occasionally an ear. Um, they'll occasionally uh, take a, a, a triangle, a circular, or a circular or a square piece of hide. Uh, sometimes they'll take the hoof material for no reason. <clears throat> so there's no rhyme or reason except for the the softest regenerating and quickest regenerating tissues in the body tend to be. Um, you know, the items that are taken and there's no real, I mean, you're not going to eat 
aliens are coming here to make lip and eye stew or, or uh, anal souffle or something. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. Um, so, <laughs> um, so it's soft tissue organs. It's they're the they're fastest regenerating tissues in the body. They harbor the most recent evidence of pollution and contaminants from the environment. The tongue. The anus, uh, the 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 udder, the milk. Uh, this is where you find uh, if there's radiation in in the environment or any type of uh, pollutants. I would check and see if there's been any big chemical fires. That would be one of the things that I would do if I was investigating these cases. I check and look to see if it was uh, downwind from any large chemical fires. Uh, I find the proximity of the horrific dairy farm event that happened a month ago, uh, the time proximity is a little interesting. Almost like somebody may be covering their tracks. I don't know. How close was that? Uh, pretty close. Uh, I'd have to do a comp- you know comparison, but you know, I'm just kind of riffing. I'm thinking about it as I go here. Um. I, I do tend to be a creative thinker. I look for, I look for um, unobvious connection points between between events, um, strange weather, aberrant social behavior, um, uh, Bigfoot reports, uh, UFO sightings. These things tend to happen at the beginning and at the end of waves of cattle mutilations. Um, also, the cheap—I call them cheap fireworks. They're these look like giant bottle rockets fizzling out in the air. Um, we have them in the Rocky Mountains. I don't know if you guys have them there, but uh, those are generally a harbinger of <laughs> a harbinger of some in- interesting times uh, approaching. Uh, and then we see them again once the uh, the wave, if you will, the wave period is over. So. Um, it's important to write everything down. Obviously, if you're if you're getting involved in investigating these things, um, it's important to make uh, copious notes. Uh, it's important to, to think uh, creatively, as I just said, and it's important to network with with other like minds and and um, and people that have been at it a lot longer than you. So, I mean, I'm willing to help anybody out that wants to get involved. Uh, I'm just hoping that New York all of a sudden doesn't have mutilation cases in my neighborhood right. because I would be duty bound <laughs> to, to go and deal with them. Fortunately, we don't have a lot of beef cattle in this, you know, in upstate New York. It's mostly dairy, but, but still, uh, it's, this is not a fun topic. I'll, I'll be the first one to admit, uh, I don't talk about this stuff at cocktail parties and, uh, you know, backyard barbecues, right. especially when people are eating beef. <laughs> not 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 a popular party topic. <laughs> not at all, especially and when yes, you're asking I, I, if someone likes them. The, there's blood rare. Yeah, well, I do actually. I love beef, but I only eat local beef. Only it's grain fed and no uh, antibiotics, no added chemicals or fillers yeah. or any of that stuff. And uh, and I like to have it local and and um, no GMOs. No GMOs, and and I don't eat that much either. I, I, you know, I might have it once once a month, maybe. So, okay. Uh, as far as the blood, uh, something that was done with yeah. surgical precision, 
uh, even if you do use a very, very sharp object, wouldn't that typically leave uh, a fair amount of blood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what they probably do is they allow the animal to drain itself by exaggerating the blood from the neck. There's quite a number of cases that we've had where we found needle marks. But um, if the animal's already dead, uh, blood pressure uh, subsides fairly quickly. So if there's no blood pressure, you're not going to have bleeding. So sometimes uh, the lack of blood can be just due to the fact the animal was dead when they did the the actual cutting on it. Um, they do take the blood. I have had cases that have been completely and thoroughly exaggerated of blood. And you can tell because you cut into the meat and it's gray or maybe a slight pinkish color, not red. And that's how you know an animal has been drained. And uh, that's by far the exception, not the norm. Okay, what about blood-sucking creatures or satanic cults who might be uh, after these uh, animals for their blood? You know, I think that that's a very very interesting question. And I think if there's some sort of paranormal entity, a predator out there, that's doing this um, and has been doing it for possibly thousands of years, that that would be a, that would be one indication uh, of that. When, when you have cases back before, <laughs> you know, governments with technology and stuff back in the 1600s or the 1800s, I'd say, or the late 1700s, those cases were done by something that is still operating today. But on top of that, then we have all these what appear to be human-perpetrated cases. It's almost like the humans are trying to figure out what it is that the non-humans are looking for. And um, either that or they're, they've identified what they're looking for, and they begin looking for it, too. It's almost like a game of cat and mouse going on. I've had cases where they try to mimic the style of one group to throw the investigators off to think that that one group is now operating in this particular area. Or this look you know, around this location. So I think there's multiple groups with multiple agendas ultimately uh, at work and, and uh, dare I say, play. <laughs> mm-hmm. So something with with an intelligence, but something also with an agenda, which could explain yeah. uh, why they don't take the meat. We'll continue our conversation yeah. with Christopher O'Brien, author of Stalking the Herd and Raveling the UFO or the Cattle Mutilation Mystery. And of course, he's also with the UFO Data Acquisition Project, which is uh, putting up surveillance. I wonder if we can capture any of this on camera. We'll have more with Christopher O'Brien when we continue across the USA right after this. Into the Across the USA, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal, I'm Jeremy Scott. Tuesday turning into Wednesday. It's so good to have you with us. If you have a take on cattle mutilations, 503-506-0396 in North America or up in Canada. That's 503-506-0396 and internationally or anywhere, actually. 
at ITP51 on Skype. If you miss any of that, it's up at parabnormalradio.com. Would love to hear from you. Uh, we are live, and we're talking with Christopher O'Brien, author of Stalking the Herd, Unraveling the Cattle Mutilation Mystery. His websites are strangeplanet.com, and the UFO Data Acquisition Project is at ufodap.com. Uh, we've been talking about blood. It is a very, very in- integral and, and, and important part of this uh, this whole phenomenon. And so when we talk about where is the blood, and uh, I was talking about you know bloodsuckers and satanic cults perhaps uh, being involved earlier, I'm wondering if cow blood... Uh, is different than human blood because then that would uh, explain uh, if these are humans who are doing this, oh, why they might be after cattle blood. Well, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> cow blood is a virtual genetic match to human blood. No other animal has blood that's closely associated with human blood as cattle blood. There's a, a bit of a it's kind of an old wives' tale, or a, a, a sort of a myth that you that I think um, O negative can survive, or what's it, what is it? Um, I think it's O negative is universal donor, right? Now that that if you're a universal donor, you can survive um, a direct transmission of cattle hemoglobin. You can't, but you're about as close as 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 you can get in the animal kingdom. So. You know, there's a 99.9 to nine places, nine 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 match to human hemoglobin, or cattle hemoglobin. Pigs are second uh, out to seven places. So we all remember the old adage, you are what you eat. Well, that's, in this case, it's, it's pretty accurate. We've been eating cows and pigs so long that we've begun to... Um, morph into their uh, hemoglobin <laughs> makeup. So I think that whatever uh, is doing this um, at the core, the high strange element, the one out of, you know, 25 cases, let's say, that this has been around for a long time, <clears throat> that it's a, a earthbound, closed system, uh, paranormal entity, predator, and it's probably responsible for our ancient practice of animal sacrifice. Maybe if we sacrifice the animals that aren't so desirable, that we we don't want, like we don't need as much as the seed bulls and the really good breeding stock. Maybe if we sacrifice these animals, that will placate whoever it is. Um, if there's any connection to, you know, the occult, I think that th- there's your connection point right there. I don't think these are. These are occultists going out and 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 uh, doing satanic rituals in uh, Texas pastures. There's <laughs> way too many firearms in Texas to think you can get away with that. Um, I I think there's something else going on. Okay, well and, maybe it's uh, not Satanists. Maybe they're just vegans. <laughs> I don't think they'd be out killing cows. But well, um, they leave the meat. No. Think that one out. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 thinking, why not haul away the meat? And 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 number one, you you would have to sit there an awfully long time to to get it free, and it's heavy to haul. Yeah, yeah. 
And don't you know? Don't don't be mistaken. There's lots of cases occurring all the time of people going out butchering a cow for meat. It happens. It's you know, it doesn't happen very often. People aren't that uh, brazen and courageous enough to do that. And you know, <laughs> ranchers and farmers are notoriously well armed, and uh, a lot of them are ex-military. So you're taking your life in your hands, even being on their property. Absolutely. Um, and as far as the blood being drained. This is a misnomer. I don't know how many cases. The, the rancher says, they drained my Bessie. They drained her. Look down. You can see there's no blood. And I just get the rancher to help me, and we take that stiff old thing, and we grab it by the legs, and we whip it over, turn it over, and whoosh. All the constituent elements come all, right out of all, all the all the wounds. <laughs> gushes. We'll continue into the next hour, our final segment with Christopher O'Brien coming up on Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. If you think this hour was mind-blowing, just wait until you hear what's next. Into the Paranormal. We'll be right back. Seven of these cattle mutilations now in Texas uh, had the first one in Madison County, five additional in two additional Texas counties. And then we heard about a seventh that was uh, revealed yesterday. And I'm interested uh, in Christopher O'Brien's thoughts on the finding. Uh, one of those they're saying was pneumonia. Now, of course, uh, I, I guess that could could be the case. Uh, but maybe this cow that was mutilated, uh, just happened to have pneumonia and it still was mutilated. Yeah. Um, oftentimes the finding of pneumonia or blackleg, um, poison plants, uh, those are, those are common killers of cattle and we're coming out of the winter. It's been a tough winter. Um, the livestock has been, I think, a little extra stressed this winter, so um, it's it's not it's not out of the realm of reason that the animal did die of pneumonia, and then and then was uh, conveniently uh, predated on or scavenged by intelligent scavengers. Oftentimes, I think these animals uh, are killed and then. They allow blood pressure to subside, and then they come in and do their their handiwork. Uh, that's why you don't have bleeding wounds, oftentimes. Uh, so there's no real rhyme or reason. Uh, each each case is a unique island unto itself, and it's the commonalities tying them together that we need to really focus on. All right. Are there other commonalities uh, that we haven't touched? Yeah, on? yeah. The, the organs that are taken. 
um, oftentimes the type of cattle. Uh, for instance, if you go to India, cattle are revered. I mean, they are worshipped. If a cow wants to go in your house, uh, an average Indian would be uh, beside himself with joy. It would be an historic moment for his family because that is such a good luck charm to have a cow want to walk through your house. They have nurseries for cattle. They wet nurse cattle with human wet nurses. They have nursing homes for cattle. Uh, and the cattle that they worship are Brahmas, uh, which are the white, the sacred white cattle of, of India. They're one of the most ancient, uh, pure breeds of cattle. And there are millions and millions and millions of Brahmas all over the world because the Indians don't eat them. They sell them. <laughs> so India is the largest exporter of cattle. And so you think with all the Brahmas around the world and all these mutilations that we've had over the years and all the different cattle types that you would have a Brahma mute, right? No. Not one. Not one single case that I know of has ever been filed of a, of a Brahma cow, bull, or steer or calf mm-hmm. that's been mutilated. Now, what's up with that? <laughs> How do you explain that away? <laughs> I find that very, very, very intriguing uh, fact. you also been saying all around the world, well, we don't get cattle mutilation cases in, in countries that aren't Christian. This is a Christian country mystery. You're not going to find cattle mutilations in China, India, um, parts of uh, of uh, Europe and Asia where uh, Christianity isn't the predominant religion. I don't know why this is, but it seems like only Christian countries get hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I find that very, very intriguing. Uh, what do you make of the cases over uh, in in Australia? There were some famous cases. There were, yeah. Over oh, there, there were like many, a, many hundreds of cases a decade ago or something. No, there were cases just last year. Uh, Mike Williams Ranch. He he was at a, a, a cattle station out there, and he I think he lost almost a dozen cows out there. Uh, of course, it's it's a little different out in Australia because the the distances out there are so vast. You have single cattle ranches that are bigger than some states. Uh, I mean, I think there's a ranch that's as big as the state of Pennsylvania or something, or a, a large uh, back wow. east state. So, um, what does that what does that mean, Chris? <laughs> it means that you don't find the animal until it's too late to be able to do anything. I have to be on site, or a veterinary pathologist, or sort of a vet who's going to do a necropsy has to be on site before the animal starts to rot. And this is the perfect time of year for that because at night it's cold and the animal will stay pristine. And if you cover it with a a, a white tarp or a silver tarp during the day and uh, kind of tech pole it a little bit, it'll help uh, keep keep it pristine. So during this time of year and in the late fall, you have the, uh, the best conditions in nature for the case to remain pristine enough for a forensic professional to come in and then and then uh, do a workup on the animal. In Australia, <laughs> they don't even find them for a week sometimes, you know, because they, they can't cover, they, they cover the herds with, with the, the helicopters out there. The, the, the land is so vast. So that's, uh, that's another important thing to, to realize is we have to get on site within 24 hours in, during the summer. 
Um, if it's and down south, you know, where, where you guys, uh, where these cases are, uh, it, it's the, the, the window, the time window is even, even shorter. It gets, gets real hot down there real quick in the morning. No spoiler. And, uh, so that's another thing. Conditions, uh, is important. The fact that we do have, uh, mutilation cases in April, uh, is noteworthy. This is not a, uh. Normally, they'll start around uh, the end of April, beginning of May. So we're a little early this year, which is an indication to me that there's other cases going on. So, okay, do you have an idea on the numbers? I had heard, you know, ten thousand, fourteen thousand, and and I don't know w- no. within time frame. I know there was a a rash of cases in in the seventies. I think in in Nebraska, and there's uh, been three thousand cases in South America in the last twenty years. 3,000 in what? South America? Yeah, mostly Argentina and Brazil. What about here in the United States? There's been lots of cases. They don't get reported. I, I might find out about them. Uh, David Perkins. A so do you agree with the number about 14,000 or, or more? It's it's really hard to, to, to put a number on it. I'd say definitely 10,000, if not if not more. I think 14,000, mm-hmm. 15,000 wouldn't be out of the realm of reason. Uh, and, and it may be way higher because I, I'm, I'm absolutely positive that many, many of these cases are not getting reported. And if you're not reporting cases, they don't become part of the you know statistics. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, you mentioned earlier that E.T. is the least likely uh, mm-hmm. source of this. Uh, so that, you know, means that you know, these things were not taken uh, aboard a spacecraft, a spaceship and, and dropped off or at least not one. Um, steered by extraterrestrials so what else does that leave and and what can we rule out well like i said i think there is some sort of uh, preternatural um supernatural predator that has existed alongside humankind for thousands of years i think that's what's at the core of this that do the high strange cases i had a vet call me and say get out here you're not going to believe this i go out there and he had a cow that uh the, the the uh, rear end of the cow had been cauterized shut and had a pregnant full, uh, uh, baby cow, a calf inside it. I got a report of another a veterinarian who claimed his unborn calf in the womb uh, had been mutilated uh, as well as the mother. Now, how do you explain that? that? That's physically impossible. We had a case where an animal was fine with uh, intact but with no spinal column. <laughs> How do you do that? I had a case where a brain was taken out with no break in the cranium, and the dura, that thin film, that paper that surrounds the brain, between the brain and the brain, uh, see on the brain case, the skull, the dura was perfectly intact. Now, how do you take a brain, just eat, just taking a small piece of the brain would have torn the dura. Now, how do you get the whole thing out without tearing the dura and go go through and get the brain with no break in the skull? So I've know, had some you, cases. Maybe you repair it afterwards, and if you're a supernatural no, predator, maybe no. you have the ability to do that. I don't no. know. A five-inch pristine fresh snowfall. Not one track, not one drop of blood. Amazing. So you mentioned an agenda. Any idea what that might be? Yeah, I think the beef industry is is, is deathly afraid of mad cow disease. And I think that's you know, nobody wants to talk about that. The only person that really has uh, was Ted Oliphant, who was a uh, police uh, officer down in Fife, Alabama, 
Uh, he and I he worked real closely together when he was having to deal with a lot of cases in the early to uh, mid-90s. Uh, one thing that um, we both kicked around was the idea of, of possibly some sort of pathogen uh, being prepared uh, to unleash on humanity. And then I thought, wait a minute, we've already got one. <laughs> At that particular point in time, the mad cow wave in England uh, was at its height. And then as soon as they got rid of all the mad cows, and or they thought they did, then hoof and mouth uh, disease broke out. And um, so they destroyed every cow in the English Isles in Great Britain. 4.7, I think, uh, million cattle were, were destroyed. And what they didn't know at the time was what caused uh, mad cow disease. They didn't know about prions, so, the smallest me- life form. What are you? What are you specifically saying here? That that these cattle mutilations are done because they they might have mad cow disease, and it's a coordinated effort to to take Monitor out those cattle. Exactly, who might spread uh, it? Cone Kelleher is the only person I know of that is has been the head of three different government programs studying UFOs. He was also the uh, managing uh, director of NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Sciences, Robert Bigelow's group in the nineties. He was also the the chief of Bigelow Aerospace, and now is the head of the Bigelow um, Consciousness uh, Institute, whatever the name of that is. Um, He wrote a book that was ignored, uh, just tragically ignored, called Brain Trust. And it's a look at the link between mad cow disease and Alzheimer's and the link between the outbreak of prion disease and the outbreak of cattle mutilations. And this is all done, you know, by a board-certified microbiologist, a guy who's uh, mm-hmm. really got his uh, his science ball, <laughs> his science uh, act together. And uh, like I said, he 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 helped head our three programs that we've had since what 2008, I think, uh, that the government's been funding. So he's somebody that um, I think should be should be acknowledged for the for the really good quality work that he's done, and his book is Brain Trust. It costs three hundred eighty something dollars to find a copy online because it it, it only had one printing and it, it, nobody's letting go of their copies, <laughs> including me. <clears throat> All right, uh, how do we contact you, if folks? Are interested in uh, racking your brain uh, over cattle mutilations? Uh, well, t- TMV guy at uh, at uh, Gmail is my primary, uh, my primary email address. Again, it's T is in Tom, M is in Mary, V is in Victor, Guy, G Y, uh, one word, lowercase. Um, and our strange planet is currently under reconstruction. I'm getting a facelift for my site, but I also have the UFO data acquisition project, which is selling um, uh, software. Uh, packages and gear for people that want to set up uh, UFO uh, monitoring uh, operations with magnetometers, recording gravel, gravitometers, radio frequency, spectrum analyzers, uh, got quite a number of uh, t- different types of gear that you can ha- monitor real time 24-7 if you live in an area that um, that's, has a, you know, a chance of, of some good activity. If you put up uh, three to six cameras, they'll all coordinate. Um, they're all synchronized, and um, and we can get you going for as little as three hundred and fifty dollars. And then the the, the full blown systems are around four thousand. 
Christopher, appreciate you so much coming on uh, and talking with us about this. Yep, keep me posted. Always good to talk. And I'll I'll let the audience know that uh, because, you know, we do have new listeners. When we talked to Christopher last in June of 2017, uh, you know, we've we've grown by leaps and bounds since that time. Mm -hmm. It was really a great conversation that we had. And, of course, we have classics now on the weekend where we get to go back and relive some of these Mm -hmm. oldies but goodies. And so this weekend you'll hear uh, Christopher O'Brien and myself uh, from 2017 talking about this as well. So uh, you'll find that uh, wherever you get this program on podcast and on stream. Best to you, Christopher. Okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate it as well. We'll have more of our program right after this. Into the Paranormal. You know, I love being on the air across the USA, and especially in times like these, even on breaking news evenings. Oh, you haven't heard? Yes, there has been another cattle mutilation. Not in Texas. This information just filtering through, and I have Chuck Zikowski with me now to discuss it and also his research. He's been researching and investigating UFO and paranormal phenomenon in the field for about 35 years. Perhaps you've heard about him. In 2016, author Ben Mesrich released his book, The 37th Parallel, The Secret Truth Behind America's UFO Highway, which was written about Chuck and his life involved with the paranormal phenomena from animal mutilations to the 1947 Roswell event. In 2019, Chuck hosted the TV show on Travel Channel called Alien Highway, traveling across the Midwest investigating the paranormal. His website, where he blogs about these phenomena, is ufonut.com. Chuck, it's so good to have you here oh thank you very much i, I appreciate it uh, man i've just been running around all day i'm trying to i'm working at you've been herding remote. cattle <laughs> <laughs> pretty much i'm trying to do my day job by uh by working remote at home to be able to uh you know field calls and and uh you know talk to other investigators and other other people that are interested and concerned about this animal mutilation thing now you're right. Um, as we speak, right about ten minutes before, um, you know, I clicked on for this show. I hung up with an investigator in, in Oregon, and uh, there's a mutilation case uh, occurring there right now, and they're headed there. So Oregon or Oklahoma? Uh, I'm sorry. Did I say Oregon? I'm sorry. I've got I got Oregon on my mind too because hey, I'm me still too. Working. I me want, too. I talked talked to the rancher today, uh, the Oregon rancher today, you know, because they're real concerned about this. Oklahoma, I'm sorry. So um, it appears to be about a one and a half year old cow. Uh, so far, from what we know, that the tongue was removed, the lower part of the jaw has been removed. Uh, some other things, uh, uh, rectal area has been cored out. So. Stuff that's very, very similar to what we've seen in Texas, and we've also seen in uh, in Oregon. And uh, so, basically, I was kind of like spent the last forty five minutes briefing the uh, the investigator going out there because really, there's not a lot of people out here that that really have the experience to do animal mutilation investigations. This will be the first. 
time this particular person is going out there to uh, to look at an animal. And so uh, I'm just kind of prepping the person and, and telling them how, you know, what to do, what not to do, how to be careful, what to look for, uh, and uh, and what to record. And to make the, and you always want to make sure that it's safe, not only not only for you know, the investigator and his and their team, but also the rancher too. So I always hit the area with uh, you know, uh, a Geiger counter to make sure there's no radiation. I've never I've never picked up radiation, but uh, I have picked up high levels of electromagnetic fields. So um, you know, I told them that we need to hit it with uh, or you need to hit it with an EMF meter, and they kind of explained how how to do that properly, where you have to go outside away from the animal, take a reading, then go near the animal. Now, animals, it's interesting, even a dead animal, this was probably within about a 24-hour period, so it's a good case. Uh, you will get EMF readings. You'll get anywhere from 8 to 10, maybe even, you know, 15 microteslas off of an animal that's dead, only because it's starting to decompose. Now, humans, and you know, we're all mammals, right? So, you know, we're actual living, speaking, talking, whatever, circuits. And on a rest right now, just you and I just talking back and forth, we're emitting about a 100 watts of power, just like a 100-watt light bulb. All right, hold that thought. We'll pick that up exactly where we left when we return. Chuck Zikowski joining me now on Into the Parabnormal. More coming up. Normal news. A sonic boom from a possible meteor rattled central Indiana last Friday night. Residents outside of Indianapolis reported their houses shook as the sky lit up with a streak of blue light. Witnesses say there was a huge flash of light that was recorded by a lightning detection system. Pilots in Kentucky reported seeing a meteor. WTHR talked with Dr. Brian Murphy, professor of physics at Butler University's Holcomb Observatory and Planetarium, who analyzed the video. From the looks of the video I heard and the fact that people thought they heard a sonic boom, this sounds like it was a fireball, which is a relatively large object that is maybe rock a uh, sort of large rock coming into the atmosphere the department of emergency management in hamilton county indiana says several reports came in across the county but there were no reports of damage the lyrid meteor shower is currently peaking and is set to last until this weekend george henry paranormal news all lying on one side with their tongues removed. A straight, clean cut with apparent precision. Three different counties, six cows have been found dead, with each seeing more grisly than the next. The truth is far more abnormal than we want to believe. You're headed somewhere between abnormal and paranormal into the paranormal. So there were the six uh, cattle, the first 
in Texas, and then an additional five. That brought us to six. And then Monday, we found out that there was a seventh. Now we're hearing from Chuck Zikowski tonight from Alien Highway and from UFONut.com, focus of the 37th parallel, the secret truth behind America's UFO highway, written by Ben Mesrich. We were hearing uh, about this case in Ohio, and or Oklahoma, excuse me. Uh, so that brought uh, us to talk about how to uh, approach this when you're on the ground. And you were speaking about EMF readings. Uh, please continue, Chuck. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I was just fired up because uh, it's been one of those days. You know, uh, I pretty much finished a case and still been talking to the rancher of the Oregon uh, mutilation case. And then uh, I contacted, I was able to actually talk to the, the deputy, the investigator for the Texas uh, Madison County uh, mute cases and was trading notes with her uh, going back and forth. And like I normally do, I mean, they've never really come across anything like this before. So uh, a lot of these uh, law enforcement investigators, they, they don't know what to expect. Now, I was a reserve deputy for eight years after I've already been a, you know, a UFO investigator. So I already knew what to expect. And, and now I know from being a reserve deputy or being a deputy that I know how they feel and and how you know they would do things coming into an investigation like this. There's certain things obviously they don't do, and that's using you know bringing a Geiger counter to see if there's radiation or bring an EMF meter to see if there's any high levels of electromagnetic field, which I've actually measured in the past on a few of my cases. There's other things too, like fluorescent lights. You may want to bring looking for fluorescence and some other things, but. Uh, you know, it's uh, for these for these deputies going out there. I know from being a deputy that a lot of the, the county sheriff's departments will probably train one or two of their deputies on um, how to do animal cruelty cases. That's when an animal's been killed on a rancher's property or whatever, and they go out there. And of course, the first thing they look for is evidence of who did it. And what really baffles the deputies is there's absolutely no evidence of how these cows have been killed. They're just laying there. The animal is laying there as if it was placed on the ground. And there's no struggle at all. So when you look at the, at the hoofs and the legs and the neck and the head and, and the ground and the soil, you won't see any struggling. There's no signs of struggling. When they walk around the animal and walk around the exterior area of the animal, uh, you know, doing a spiral going outwards, they can't find any signs of uh, of of human intervention or predator. Now, there there will be some scavengers, and that, that does happen. But you know, when you have a, a thousand pound animal that's you know laying there dead, you're looking for bear tracks, mountain lion tracks, something like that. Uh, coyotes will come in later on, but generally. You know, they don't, they don't mess with the carcass for at least 24 hours or so, and that kind of keeps them away, too. It's really, really interesting stuff. And I'm hearing that in some of these cases, uh, the scavengers don't even want the carcass, which is odd. There, there are cases. Eventually, the scavengers will, will go. And, and, I, and I have a theory why, and it has to do with EMF, because I've had biological uh, samples 
taking I've taken to to a veterinary lab and and there's really nothing out of the ordinary of the sample itself except the fact that we learned that there's no hemorrhaging, meaning the animal wasn't alive when it was cut up. So there's one good thing, you know, about that is the animal was killed first, then it was cut up, or else it'd be showing signs of hemorrhaging around, you know, around the cuts. So we and and the heart, in some cases, has was collapsed, meaning it was bled out. So the animal, basically, how the mutilation case works, is the animal's taken from location A to location B, which we don't know where location B is. We haven't found it yet, and it's it, it's bled out there and cut up, and then it's brought to location C, which is the general area where it was originally in location A. Could be within fifty yards. It could be, you know, when within fifty feet. But who's ever doing it? They take the animal, get what they want from the animal, and then they bring it back. But the interesting thing is, is the energy that was involved with taking the animal and bringing it back. That's what we're picking up on EMF meters. Like there's some type of electromagnetic force associated with the removal and the return of the animal, not only on the animal itself, not all the time. Sometimes it's dissipated by the time uh, uh, an investigator gets there, but sometimes you actually pick it up in the soil too. And it depends on the soil, the soil content, is there a clay or not, which would, which would you know, can, can hold that EM field in there for a little bit. And then eventually it dissipates off. So over the years, and gosh, I, you know, I was kind of looking at some of my blogs uh, you know, over the past years I've done on mutilation cases, I've counted close to 55. So uh, I've been doing this for a couple of decades now. And every time I do a new case, I, I learn something new. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. Oh, and then something else, too. The deputies won't, won't ask. It's specific questions that a UFO investigator can ask that deputies won't ask because they don't think about it. And in the case of, of the... Uh, the organ mutilation. And if you go to my website, ufonut.com, you'll see the organ mutilation uh, there. And I interviewed the rancher, and a week or so before the mutilation case, the rancher did see flashes of light off in the distance. Now, I looked to see where that ranch house was, and it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody around it. He's in a very desolate area. Don't know yet too much about the Texas one. The uh, They don't have a case report released yet when I was talking to the deputy because there's so much going on there that, um, that she's trying to get it all together. It's just, it's just too much. It's going to take a little bit of time. So we really don't know, you know, the exact. So this is uh, really fresh stuff. Well, for the, this, the, the six or now seven, in uh, in Texas, you know, it, it's pretty much overwhelmed, you know, that part of the sheriff's department trying to figure this out. Not only that, but when, you know, when they put it on their on their Facebook, it went international and, you know, Fox News and NBC and everybody else picked it up. So the poor deputy is being inundated, you know, by reporters and, and, and people that are curious uh, about it. Now, I talked with the investigator tonight about this particular one that's in Oklahoma. And the first thing I said is, look, you know, as soon as we get more information of this, we've got to go public on it. And, uh, you know, 
when I went public with the Oregon case, I didn't use the deputy's name. I didn't use the rancher's name. And that's okay. We don't want looky-loos there. We don't want the ranchers, you know, uh, or the deputy being inundated by a lot of people like this particular one in Texas is being inundated right now because then they can't do their job because they're always on the phone, you know. But um, we just Or chasing people off the property. Well, yes, that too. Obviously, you don't want to release the, you know, the location of the mutilation because you'll get it, you know, you'll just get, and and so I I don't feel, you know, I don't feel bad that, you know, people want to go see because I would, but uh, you have to respect the rancher and, and they, and they have to go on and still do what they need to do every day. And they don't need people hopping the fences and, and, and they will, people will, you know, they'll, you know, uh, they'll hop a fence and they'll trespass them to to see what they can see. You know that's just human curiosity. So we try to keep that, you know, away from the public for a little while. But the main thing is is to get the information, like in programs like this, to get the information out, so other ranchers and other you know and people will be more aware of this. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, uh, when we had uh, March thirtieth pretty much started this thing with the uh, the organ mutilation. And then it looks like April 9th was probably um, the April 9th, April 8th, I think it was maybe. Yeah, that uh, the uh, April 8th was the first case in Texas. So that's about nine days after um, the 30th. And then and then that's been about nine days or so, or since the last one. I got to find out about the seventh exactly when they found the seventh. And now you have this Oklahoma. Well, they case. said Monday, uh, so that would have been yesterday uh, that they released that one. So that would have been the twenty fourth. Yeah, but we don't know exactly. You see, the information coming from Texas um, when they said six animals had died, they it, it was over a span of of, of a, a couple weeks. And uh, all I know is the very first one was found dead on, on April 8th. So that's the other part that, um, as investigators, we have to look at is find out exactly, you know, for all seven of the animals, what day. Okay, so are the dates happen. important then? Are we looking at patterns or something? That's what we're looking for. We're looking for patterns. Because the dates are important. But the, the problem is with some of these cases now, this one in Oklahoma right now, we know it's been within 24 hours the animal was seen yesterday. So we know that they're going out there within a 24-hour period, which now we can peg it down to, you know, April 24th for this particular case. Uh, but when we learn more about the Texas cases, then we want to know, okay, you know, because a lot of these animals are free-grazing animals, and the rancher may not know where they are every day. It may come across it two days later after it's been dead or even three or four days later after. So, we can, you know, once we know an estimated date on when the animal was found and estimated about, you know, when it was last seen, we can start looking for patterns. And, you know, with the Oklahoma one, we found out about it. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm getting – I got three of them here I'm working on. <laughs> The uh, the Oregon one we we found out a, a good week or so after you know it actually was found. So uh, there was a lot of uh, footwork on the Oregon one. I knew it. I knew there was a case in Oregon. I didn't know where. So uh, I had to put my uh, 
my detective boots on, and I started researching in Oregon the counties that had mutilations in the past. Then I started I started calling their dispatch, the sheriff's departments, and talking to dispatch and talking to different people there and asking if anybody had released a case report on an animal cruelty. Not a mutilation, not a strange animal death. They, they mostly list them as animal cruelties. And so by the third um, county that I talked to and they were, were researching for me, that's where I found out it was uh, Hardy County. Interesting. So uh, really interesting. And from there, I was able to get the case report. Uh, you know, and then once I got the case report, then I had uh, I realized that there were pictures associated with it. Then I had to get the pictures associated with it. So it takes a you know it takes a little bit of work to be able to do this. You know, it's a little bit of a detective work to get to this. Now with the the Texas case, right off, I you know I had an idea because it was in. It was on their Facebook, so I knew what county it was, and I was able to get a hold of the deputy just by sheer luck. Um, I was able to, to call and talk to the deputy directly because I was able to acquire the deputy's uh, extension, phone extension, and we had a good half hour to 45-minute talk, and she went on my website, and, and she saw the pictures of, uh, of the case in, in Oregon and uh, said that they were, it was very similar to what they were seeing in Texas. So this would make sense because we were supposed to touch base today uh, about trying to get some of this information to go public. But since she hasn't been able to release a case report yet, uh, I've got a special request into the sheriff okay. in Madison County to see if they can give me the information. Hold that thought. Sometimes uh, it takes more than boots on the ground to get this information. We'll have more with Chuck Zikowski right after this. I get it. They, they don't know what they're dealing with, and therefore sometimes it can take a while to get a sense of what it is that you're dealing with and how best to uh, describe that or to write it up in a report. Talking with a former sheriff's deputy and uh, investigator of the UFO and paranormal phenomena, Chuck Zakowski, his website, ufonut.com. So uh, please continue, Chuck. I mean, these cases in, in Texas, you had one and then you had five more and now now a seventh. Uh, and, and when you don't know exactly what it is you're dealing with, uh, I can see how that can be uh, easily overwhelming. Well, it is. The first thing is, is as an investigator, when you walk up to an animal you kind of just assume it's a cannibal mutilation phenomenon. You know, you, you have to, you know, assume that maybe the animal had died of natural causes or was poisoned or has is viral. So you have to be really careful when you come up to the animal. You got to know a lot about what you're doing and looking at the animal to make sure that it wasn't some type of virus that took the animal down. Cause you don't want to take that virus home to, you know, to your family. And so you once you've done enough of these and you come up on one and you know you can peg it right off as being, you know, part of that paranormal type of mutilation. What's interesting that I'm, I'm looking at the map now and I'm looking at Oregon. And so we're traveling from Oregon. We're going east into Texas. And then now we're coming up to uh, uh, into Oklahoma. And I'm guessing... The pattern here and what I've seen in the past 
you may see Kansas or Missouri might get hit next if, it, if it's following or Illinois because it's kind of following that pattern where there's been other mutilations in the past. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Just okay, so is there a rhyme or reason to this? No, I wish there was. You know, with the 37th parallel, there was a rhyme or reason to to that because basically it's a paranormal highway that goes cuts across the U.S. and there's been a lot of UFO activity. Matter of fact, this could fall into the 37th parallel, meaning that, you know, the, the center is, is kind of treated like a turnpike and where you can hit water sources. Um, I think there's some high, I think hydrogen is involved in this. Every one of the mutilation cases that I've worked with, even the one in Texas, I was looking at that in that area. There's water sources nearby, so uh, hydrogen may be the key. If you if you go into 37th degree latitude, you can hit all the major aquifers in the United States, underground. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff you can hit water. So that would be like a great turnpike. And then you would exit up and you'd exit down and do what you need to do. And it's usually when you exit, you exit north or you exit south. And it would fall right into north to Portland and then south into into Texas and then down into Oklahoma. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying that a lot of a lot of these sightings, the UFO sightings, have a tendency of traveling east to west. And then they, you know, when they when they or if they're going north to south and they blitz off, they'll go blitz off to the left to right, meaning east to west. Just a theory, you know, but yeah. I'm still kind of putting it together and I've got some other Okay. Ideas about it. Yeah, so let's get to some of those ideas and theories in the remaining time that we have here. What do you think is behind this? I got to tell you, one of the things the deputies don't ask is, because they don't know, is is there anything unusual that the uh, rancher has seen in the past couple of weeks? Turns out the one in Oregon had seen flashes of light. Uh, and they're out in the middle of nowhere, so there's nobody around them, and the flashes of light were fairly close. Uh, the deputy that he talked to never asked that question. We never knew that. The other thing, too, was I learned that the, the rancher and his wife, uh, the one in Oregon, were ill a little bit after they got too close to the animal. They were about four feet away from the animal. And then for the next couple of days, uh, you know, they were they were feeling a little bit ill. Now, it could be one of the reasons could be maybe there was a, a high EM field there. Got to remember, electromagnetic fields is uh, their high-frequency radiation. So it's radiation, and it can affect the human yeah. body, like I said, because we're circuits, too. So you know, some of the things you have to ask, a lot of things in, in Oregon mimic what we see, in, uh, or at least what we've seen through the uh, publications about Texas. And then I've got a couple of pictures that the investigators sent me on the phone uh, on Oklahoma, and there's a couple of similarities, too. I'm just hoping the Oklahoma one uh, isn't, uh, you know, a hoax. And it wouldn't be a hoax from the rancher. It could be just, you know, a copycat, you know, copycat type of person out there. But we have to be careful about that, too, just yeah. in case. Absolutely, Chuck. Uh, time was too short, but I, I have a feeling this will not be the ca- last case that uh, you investigated. And so I look forward to being able to uh, to have you back. Yeah, I hope it is the last case because... You, you know, hope it uh, is. <laughs> wishful thinking. Down. UFONut.com, your website, and uh, social media as well. Uh, Thanks so much, Chuck. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, Yeah. And we'll keep our pulse on this to see uh, what indeed the future does hold. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, ranchers, keep those cameras going. We want to capture this on film. Good night.